We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we got this little break between the 41st and 42nd game. Lakers don't play again until Thursday night against Dallas. And it's just, I think, this natural point to reflect. And yesterday we did that a bit, Darius and I. But Mike, uh, I we didn't get your thoughts. And so just open-ended question to you to start the pod, man. Talk to me about your memories and reflections on the first half of the season and kind of where you think we're going from here. I think that things have normalized some from where the start was and the Lakers have figured out a couple of things about their team. And that's that's sort of what that's the reason why in an ideal world that you have continuity going from season to season so that you don't have to have that ex- exploration period. But that wasn't going to be a reality just based on what the roster was looking like. So now that they I think they've they figured that out to an extent. And even in the standings, things have gotten at least reasonable for them when it looked like things were going to be very, very dicey. And a lot of that is because of just the relative parity of the West and how many teams have dropped off considerably. So that even while being three games under 500, you know, the Lakers are two games back of the sixth seed. And so to me, all of that in in terms of big picture um, is pretty good relative to what they came into the season with, knowing as we were discussing that there's a trade that either should be made or needs to be made for the roster to be balanced a little bit more and to have, you know, another bigger wing and, and the whole situation with Russ and all of that. So if if you would have told me that that was the case, that even if the Lakers were in the 12 spot, that they were only a couple back of that, uh, of that out of the play in area uh, in terms of the uh, ahead of the plan, I guess, then I would say, okay, yeah, I, I think you would probably take that. The complicating factor is just AD's injury. And that to me is the biggest storyline. It's always going to be the biggest storyline until either, you know, either it works out in the Lakers direction or not um, as he tries to battle back. And as he, as he tries to, um, or hopes that the hood, that the foot heals. So that's the biggest thing. But barring that, you know, I, I think that if you would have, if we, when we had this question or this conversation a month ago, even, or a couple of weeks ago, that I think the Lakers are probably overall in a better place in that context. So like as we look back on the first half of the season, 
is there anything to you that stood out in terms of like better or worse? Like I remember because very early on we had some thoughts like we I I don't want to say that we had debates, but we we definitely had some spirited conversations around like what LeBron might be capable of and what the expectations were of him. And LeBron's been in the news lately. He went on the record with Sam Amick, for example. He had a TV sit down with ESPN that like he hasn't done one of those in a really long time. And so he's gone on the record with outside sources and not just like in front of TV cameras with someone like you, right? With like internal stuff. And he's reflected on his career and he's spoken about the level of play that he's played to this season and what his prospects are moving forward. And and, and so where are you at in terms of the evolution of LeBron's season? Because I think that there has been an evolution of sorts or a breaking in period of sorts. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts about LeBron as well. Well, overall, he's been amazing. Uh, just for year 20, I just did a thing for the Lakers Insider email that goes out about LeBron and all of sort of the unprecedented nature of what he's doing um, at this stage. And relative to literally anybody else that's ever played the game, he he blows everybody out of the water. Like points, he's at 29. Kobe in year 20 was at 17.6, and that's number two. Assists, he's at 6.7. Kobe is number two at 2.8. Rebounds, he's at 8.2. KG was 6.6. And, and on down the list, like he leads in field goal percentage over Kareem and Robert Parrish, uh, like bigs that were still getting close to the hoop. So, Mm-hmm. You know, he's really he's really separated himself uh, at this stage. And I think that I'm, you know, my surprise level, like I thought he would do all of that in terms of you, you knew going into the season, he was in better shape than anybody else going into year 20. But being able to carry the load like he has, uh, that was my concern heading into the season that he would sort of have to do that. And, you know, he wasn't playing quite this well to start the season. And I think that part of that was him. That was what I was trying to get at. I think he was trying to get himself through the full 82 and potentially enough to have a playoff run and coinciding with the fact that Anthony Davis, after the team's ridiculously difficult start and unlucky start and all that had really stepped up and was able to carry more of that burden. Once that changed and the Lakers had the four game losing streak, but that's when LeBron, you know, really just kind of decided and said, okay, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to go now. And that's what we've seen. Whether my, I still have that concern as to what level that can really sustain going forward for the entire rest of the season, um, unless he's, you know, essentially afforded some more help. But yeah, the first reaction there is just is just to try and step back and recognize how insane it is that somebody who's played this much basketball is still able to going into a game. The other team is looking over there and considering him basically just up there with the top of the rest of the five, 10 best players in the league uh, on a given night. And mm-hmm. that really is uh, an incredible thing. And I, th- it's, it's very difficult not to take it for granted because it's something that we've seen so long as an NBA community, but it is sometimes important to stop and recognize that this is, this is real greatness still, you know, right in front of us for a guy that's been doing it since 2003. Yeah. I wrote about LeBron recently at silver screen and roll as well, Mike. And The word unprecedented is basically the word that I had to use. And it's not just because of the stats and everything and the accomplishments. It's just like he truly is just an unprecedented player. And it's amazing, Pete, to sort of think about, I thought Mike's point about the other team. I've always said that you are with how the other team treats you, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
And, and so there were points even when Kobe was struggling with efficiency and after the Achilles tear and those teams weren't very good, right? But there are times where when you're playing a team that's not very good, you don't have to go double team the other team's best player, right? You can stay home. You could let that guy cook. Maybe he gets his 25 or his 30 points, but you're still going to win by 20 points because the other team's not very good. And that's what happens. But I would see Kobe go into the post still, and he, he gets it one dribble back down, two dribble back down, and then the defense starts to creep. And you're just like, yes, like, that's it. Like, you know that meme of, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's, like, pointing at the TV screen the TV, from... Yep. Yeah, and, and he's just like... I've ah. had a few of those moments this season. It's so funny you referenced that meme, yeah. Like, ah, there it is, there it is. And the defense, LeBron, they're not just treating him like, oh, you're the other team's best player. They're treating him, like Mike said, like, you're one of the best players in the league. And that is a different level of, like, respect or, like, fear and pressure that that puts on the other team in order to respond and react. It's also a different level of production when you are putting up the level of efficiency and volume. He's like, he is at the top of the scouting report and it's still giving him 35, eight and eight or whatever on like 58% shooting, right? And so he is being treated that way as one of the best players in the league because he is still one of the best players in the league. And I think we need to move forward accordingly. The other thing that you said there, Mike, that I thought was super important is the idea of support. And so AD has been a pillar on his own and he hasn't been able to support LeBron because AD got hurt. Right. And so I'm very interested to see what a healthy-ish or healthy version of Anthony Davis with a LeBron who understands like it's go time, what that sort of support looks like, because those two those two elevate each other in ways that make them formidable as a team in a way that I think is easy to forget, right? When you're a fan and like you've seen some of the Lakers struggles the last couple couple of years. But one of the things I wanted to kick to you, Pete, in terms of our continuing reflection is the support that some of the other players have been giving LeBron and how that has sort of helped stabilize the team in the way that Mike was talking about. So take any of the players that you've seen. Does any one guy stand out or is it a collective effort? Like, where are you at in terms of that support? It's a collective thing for me, D, because early on, one of my first uh, checkpoints in terms of are we getting back on track or not is building a credible defense. And on this year's team, the level of motor is polar opposite in a lot of places, especially amongst the bigs. And and, and one thing you've said this a couple of times recently is as the years go on, one of the things that I think really shines well off of LeBron, although he said recently, and he's right, he's always done well with guys like TB and high motor type of guys. But it is that motor and athleticism, Mike, that go, 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 that I think that in, in terms of like building a championship contender, we need, he needs we need more support in a couple of other places. But I do think some of that support has been established via high motor guys that are going to play defense, that are just going to do your job. And there are a lot of guys that do that in the NBA, but you do have to have them on your team. And especially in the front court last year, we did not have high motor guys. And so that to me is part of the underlying support that's there now is, and it wasn't there from the beginning of the season, but that, but building something, building that level of support where 
more and more guys do their job with motor and uh, and enthusiasm and, you know, that they just have that drive that I think really helps LeBron and AD. Yeah, this is a reminder of all the conversations that we had last year, both on the podcast and on the text thread of the team that, that just could not find its way to that point and just wasn't really mm-hmm. there. And there were a lot of reasons for it. And we don't need to go over all of it again, but there, there. that's the one thing for me, like Russ hasn't changed his game. He doesn't change his game. He kind of plays one way, but there's been sort of a an acceptance by him and by his teammates, I think, and just in, in general, sort of this is what Russ is going to do on a given night. And the guys that are out there next to him on the court, including LeBron, by the way, who like, I think a lot, some of the numbers recently with Russ, I think are partly because, and especially with LeBron, is LeBron is just running more now. And it's just getting up and down in transition. And that's when LeBron's yeah. doing that. It's just impossible to defend, uh, basically. And, and Russ certainly supplements that. But it's Thomas Bryant and his personality and his work worth, uh, work ethic. And Wendian Gabriel is one of the few guys that did do that last year. And it's why Wendian Gabriel had, like, the best net rating on the team last year, even in a small sample mm-hmm. size. And, you know, Austin Reeves is always going to be able to adapt in whatever he sees the team is needing to do to win. Dennis fits that a little bit better. So I think that there, there are just more players that support that. And for Darvin Ham, a head coach in his first year, who's I think still evolving in a lot of ways. One of the things that he is really good at is just lifting that day-to-day spirit and giving that energy that, uh, that I think can support this style as well. And that's part of what I think my initial comments were today, that there are things that the team has figured out to some extent. And, Now the question just is, it gets back to personnel and it gets back. And that includes, of course, Anthony Davis. And it gets back to because that's what you ultimately are going to have to have to beat some of the better teams in the West, even if the West is in a down year relative to where it's been in the past. But, you know, Denver and Memphis and Golden State and to an extent, New Orleans with with how they're playing with what their depth is, although they have the same injury questions now. Like Those are the types of things where uh, I, I think that. They, those have to be ironed out, but it's a better conversation than it was a little bit ago. And, and that's significant. Pete, in zooming out a little bit, Mike just rattled off a bunch of teams. I was in the text thread the other day and I was just like, I look at all these teams and like, and I still look back at the Lakers and like fingers crossed on AD, nothing works without AD. And this was a point I heard someone make on a podcast the other day, and I can't remember which which one it was. But the idea of like, oh, yeah, well, you don't have Anthony Davis. Well, OK, well, then like nothing's going to matter at that point. And so any projection I make about the Lakers is under some sort of an assumption, not assumption, but like, of course, if I'm talking about what the Lakers can do in a season and what I hope that they can achieve, the idea of Anthony Davis is baked into that, right? And so- Of course. Like, right? So- Yeah, it, it, without him, it changes the entire equation, yeah. And as, yeah, as and for so, any contender with any all-star player. Yes. Yeah, that's just yes. the NBA, yeah. Except, he, you know, he's hurt, but yeah. I'm looking at that top half of- the West. And I still think about what makes the Lakers special in terms of a team that's based off of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I see that versatility and ability to play multiple styles. And I wonder what the other teams have in terms of that. And I'm just wondering how you reflect on like in zooming out and looking at the rest of the conference, like where you see 
Like, do any of those teams scare you? Do any of those teams, do do you feel like the Lakers with a LeBron and AD are built to play against any of those teams? There isn't a team that scares me. It's part of the reason why I think it's, we should very much go for it at this trade deadline and really try to try to win. Now, that said, it is a super valid argument about Anthony Davis and his injuries, right? And first off, we need to get that information first. The whole idea of him ramping up, is he actually going to come back? And before any trade or any moving forward, we have to get the answer to that first. And a lot of optimistic reports so far, we'll see, fingers crossed. But in terms of that ability to play multiple styles of which Anthony Davis is one of, if not the central figure, yes, it, the bigger version of the Lakers is still a theoretical one, right? Him and TB have, what, 28 minutes together or something like that? And they've got some insane net rating in the time that they do. But AD going out is what allowed Thomas Bryant to emerge to a degree where it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's like a major part of what we do, or at least I think he should be going forward. And so that bigger look that we've been talking about is already on the team, I think. And now I also think there's a valid argument to say, well, that's great now, but come playoff time, will you be able to defend well enough with Thomas Bryant? So, again, a lot of valid arguments on on multiple sides. But that's where I go with Mike in terms of how this moves forward is what do bigger lineups look like? If if and when AD comes back, does TB still start at the five? Do we have this, these bigger groups and then go to the smaller groups off of the bench? Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I think this all presumes AD health in this discussion, of course, but if he is healthy, then I think it doesn't really matter if TB starts next to him or if he just is the backup center and he's a really, really good backup center in that stage or in that context, or, you know, if he's starting and then that's putting LeBron back on the wing and potentially drawing a harder defensive assignment for him. But then again, if AD is really back and AD can take mm-hmm. a, a, a harder defensive wing assignment and LeBron can still take the guy that's going over to the corner that's right. and then LeBron can help, you know, off him. So that mm-hmm. I think that can work fine. Um, as can them just going the route that they went to start the season defensively. But then maybe that's where you figure out the whole kind of what's going on with Lonnie Walker. And are you really playing Beverly and Schroeder next to each other? And maybe you put one of the mm-hmm. bigger guys, one of the bigger guys at the two in that context, which, you know, to me would, would be my preference. So I, I don't know if you, especially when you get down to like real series, but I do think that's, that's getting ahead of it. And, and that's why Pete, you did give the disclaimer. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. To give like, that is the best case scenario and all that. But you know, I'm, I'm just more thinking of the Western conference in the way that you described it, where there isn't necessarily one team that, that is completely scary. It's funny. Cause that's how John Morant described it as in like, Oh yeah, we uh, West not worried about it. Well, we're worried about Boston. So like Memphis are, is already viewing things that way. And what I think is that the Lakers you have to win three series, you know, in the West. So is there, is there, is there a team that I think there's no possible way they could beat them in a first round series? Not necessarily, not really like with a healthy LeBron AD and a couple of more of these pieces, but I, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't favor them to beat golden state. You know Um, that golden state to me is still the best all around team. And with what we've seen so far from Memphis, like I don't think they're getting enough respect for how good they are. They're 27 and 13. They've won seven in a row. Um, even with being banged up the whole time, John Morant just missed two games. No problem. Uh, they won them anyway. So that's a, that's a, a really deep athletic young type team that you have to beat four times in a series. And that to me is where the load that LeBron has to continue to carry throughout this regular season, that that's in the context that it matters. Cause then when you get into a round one series, and I think that even in the best case scenario, the Lakers are, are not likely to get home court at this point. Although that's what's so odd. They're like three and a half back of the four seed uh, in this ridiculous West. But, you know, but again, that that would require a major win streak. And, and that's that's also not assuring the Lakers when Anthony Davis comes back, if that is the case. So I just wanted to put a little bit of a stop on the way that I'm thinking about the West in that you're still going to have to to beat good teams uh, 12 times. Well, that's the, every yeah. year. Yeah, but that's every year. Well, no, but yeah. every year, like when the Lakers were the one seed, Right. And you're looking down the standings. I'm like, there's none of these, mm-hmm. none of these teams can definitely none of these teams can beat the Lakers four times and nobody beat them more than once in the West like that. There's just a major difference between going through a, a playoff series when you're clearly the best team when you've got the, the, the most of the total package versus when you're the team that sort of needs things to go um, a, a certain way, even just to get into that initial matchup. So I, I just want to draw that distinction point and not talk about the Lakers like they're the favorite, you know, because they, if they get somebody back. Yeah, I don't think the Lakers would be looked at as a favorite against most anyone. What I would say, though, is that they might be the team that no one else wants to play if they are in shape and ready to go for a playoff run 
right? The thing that I appreciate about the playoffs, um, and this is getting way ahead of ourselves because the Lakers aren't in the playoff picture right now. We like didn't even touch playing territory like, yet. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> like they are. They're within arm's distance of a lot of different things, but arm's distance is like we've all seen a seven-point lead. This day is a seven-point lead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like that's just how it goes in the NBA sometimes. And so we'll see. But but the thing I love about the playoffs is there are no back-to-backs and your ability to absorb the physicality combined with your mental acuity towards beating the other team. That's where that's where your superiority shows up the most. And my that's where I thought the idea of what the Lakers were when they were the best team. That's what I thought mattered the most. It was like that mental preparation idea as much as like, oh, look at the talent. And I'll, look, I'll concede one thing just from the start. If you're Denver or Memphis or New Orleans or Golden State or whoever the most likely top four teams are, and you're looking at either, you know, the Lakers or the Timberwolves or the Blazers, you know, one of one of those teams. And I mean, even if AD isn't able to go and you're looking at LeBron James, you know, coming in in a series, of course, that's the last thing that any of those teams want. That That is a, that is not uh, that is not something a recipe for. Um, oh, first round, first round series. And it's and it's LeBron who hopefully is able to just sustain even just this level of play that he's at right now. So so that's that's even in a not ideal scenario for the Lakers. There's still I'll still allow that. that they're, that's kind of a nightmare first round type of a, of a matchup. Hey, Pete. So one of the things I wanted to do as well is like as we zoom back in is like, OK, well, OK, great. Playoff playoff talk is fun and 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 zooming out and everything else is is fun. But like so the Lakers play Dallas on Thursday. Here's their next. So here's the Lakers next six opponents. Dallas at home. So they, they have a five game home streak that's or like uh, like a home stretch right here. Right. They've got Dallas, Philly, Houston, Sacramento, Memphis. And then they go on the road to Portland. Every single one of those teams outside of Houston is good. Dallas, Sacramento, Memphis, and Portland. The Sacramento and Portland games to me are particularly important because they are teams that are in that mix, in that bunch of teams that is right up above them in the standings. And then Dallas and Memphis are are two of the other teams that are just like, oh, well, you guys are really good, right? And then Philly is on their West Coast road trip. And so... As much as we talk about the Lakers are playing better and they just had a very difficult December in terms of like being on the road a bunch, but now they're at home. It's just like, oh, yeah, they're at home. But like the opponents are ramping up mm-hmm. as well in terms of quality there. And so taking stock in terms of we've been looking back a lot, but let's look forward, but not so far forward that we're like putting the Lakers in the Western Conference finals. Let's <laughs> right. No, no, no. I didn't want to do that anyway. Right. Look, but look. With all of the progress that we've made, even just bad news on Anthony Davis really ends any possibility of the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. And there 
even with all of the progress that we've made, we're still right at that point. And this is one thing that the Denver game, which we had good spirits about, right? Hey, they competed. They gave them hell, gave them hell, made them play their starters longer than they wanted to. But we are right on the precipice of not having enough guys to be able to win games against decent teams. Like we're right there with AD out and Austin and Lonnie. I don't think we've gotten any news on Bev yet, right? And so Troy Brown's still out, Pete. Troy Brown, and there's just a certain accumulation where we're right at that point, and the vibes have been good because we've won in, in a lot of a, a lot of those games in those circumstances. We won a game without LeBron and AD against Miami, and we, you know, we beat up on Atlanta. But we're right there at that point where it can if things just go a little bit worse, we can be right where we were. And so I don't want the tone of the podcast to sound like, hey, all right, we're out of we're out of the woods there. Right. In terms of the ultimate result. But what I would say is that we have established enough of an identity. This process is not done, but we've established enough of an identity and enough of this is who we are. Russ had some comments in the post game about this recently of like, we know what hurts us. We know what works for us. And that wasn't the case early in the season. And now we've had a stretch where we treaded water without LeBron for a bit and Anthony Davis carried us. And we've treaded water without AD with LeBron carrying us. And so I don't think it's unreasonable to think, hey, when you got them together, you can really do some damage, especially when we saw them either beat or hang with some top teams when we did have those guys. And when we had less of the supporting cast in place and in a cohesive place, which is something that is going to continue. So again, I don't want to act like we're out of the woods. I don't think we're going to be out of the woods at any point this season, but I do think that we have built something that's worth building on going forward. Well, no, when you talk about being out of the woods, Mike, like at least they can see the sky now and like, oh, look, there's there like there's the North Star. There was a point in time where it's just like not only were you in the woods, but it was raining. There was a bunch of clouds overhead and you couldn't see anything. And you're just like scrambling for shelter. And that's not where they are, man. We were we were stuck in mud trying to get out. Yeah, Mike. And so that's not where they are right now. Yeah, that was the distinction point. I think that we were drawn earlier between last year and this year and just having some type of a style in some type of a feel. And for folks that watch mm-hmm. inside the NBA, that's one of the few things that, you know, you're like, you're not going to get Shaq and Kenny and Charles really doing a ton of league pass all week, like really breaking down the teams and really telling you exact, like some points that you don't necessarily know about the basketball, maybe, maybe once in a while, but they do have just sort of the sense of how the league works. And that's where you'll always hear them talking about, well, what is that team? Like, what do they really do? And if you can't answer that question yourself, then it's just harder to follow through with a plan and it's harder to go mm. night to night in the league. And that is after that four game losing streak that they had in December after AD initially got hurt. That is where I think they sort of almost by f- just the necessity in a way mixed with some of the ideas. Oh, yeah. They just figured out, well, hold on. Well, let's just be faster and more athletic and a little bit like not even not work harder. Cause I always think that's a little bit of a fraught way because the other teams are going to play hard too a lot of the times, but there's mm-hmm. just a, there's a way that the team is playing right now that I think is sustainable based on who the personnel is, even when they're banged up. But of course they have to start getting some of these guys back. And, you know, the stretch that Darius just mentioned, they're not going to have Austin or Lonnie, but they might have one or both of them. And I think more for sure, Austin, when they start to hit that East coast, Uh, push Mm -hmm. and up until that point though it would really help to get troy brown back 
you know, it would really help to, to right. have Beverly at least in that mix because then you're you're getting into what the fourth quarter to start the fourth quarter was, which was basically like a South Bay Laker game, except that Max Christie yes. is really good. Um and and Swider hit a couple of shots. But you know, you don't you don't want to be out there starting I think it was like Sterling Brown with Christie and Cole Swider, and then you know, two regulars like Thomas Bryant and maybe it was shooter. Yes. And like that's that's just not that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable to beat some of these good teams that are coming up. You have to get a couple of those bodies in, which is what we saw when Thomas Bryant and Dennis Schroeder came back in the Detroit game. Mm-hmm. So that's the level that they have to be at to survive this next stretch. And and then from there, we'll see where they can go. So let's put health aside for a bit. Let's 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 both let's agree that the Lakers will need some luck on that front front, which we have not really had over the last couple of seasons in order to achieve our ultimate goals. A big part of the conversation about the team leading into the season in terms of the roster was the lack of shooting. And you looked at the team like, gosh, like where is the outside shooting going to come from? Of all of the things that last year's team lacked, they had Carmelo Anthony as a spot up guy, Malik Monk, uh, Wayne Ellington. They had guys that were kind of these catch and shoot threats of which we really don't have much of. And we saw the start to the season. It was disastrous in that respect. But Lakers have improved in uh, in, in that respect, as the season has gone on. That said, that's one place, D, that I look at that I think we need one guy that hits jump shots for a living. And I still do to, and this is more for the really serious basketball games, right? This is, I think we can be a, a credible team as we are now. Or I, I think we can be this like average team as we are now, uh, maybe a little bit better than average, but to really get good, I think we need somebody to counter the collective force that is generated by LeBron and then hopefully AD, Russ, TB, these bigger athletes with great motor. All of that has a certain gravity that's put upon the rim that if you can counterbalance that with a guy who can really shoot, I think – and mind you, we've been like third or fourth in offense over the last couple of months. So we've already been good. But come the big-time games, I think we need a shooter. Where do you sit on that topic of our team shooting? I've been pleasantly surprised with the guys who have hit shots at the rate that they have while acknowledging that they do need someone who like this is what I do or mm-hmm. – and defenses treat them as such. So, look, defenses close out on Lonnie Walker. They close out on Austin Reeves. But they're not running at them like, oh, my God, this dude has the ball. It was funny because Mike brought up Cole Swider. Swider has been hurt, right? And he's on a two-way. He's been hurt, hasn't been able to play. But he played the other night. And he got real minutes because no one else was because so many guys are hurt. It's just like, hey, Cole, like you in tonight. Right. And they and the Lakers ran basically an action that every shooter has ran over the course of their life. And Swider probably felt right at home with this. And I called it the Kyle Korver special. Right. Because he Swider came and he flared off a screen looking for the looking for a pass going to the corner. Didn't get it from the and then the ball came to the big man and it was then a dribble pitch. So the big man pitched it back to Swider and two dudes were just like, oh, hell no, Cole Swider. Like he'd already hit a three, I think. And he had been Mm -hmm. and he's a gunner anyway. So two guys just jumped at him and Cole Swider just like bounced pass to Wenyon. Wenyon took one dribble and dunked it. Right Alone. And when it was by himself. Yeah, yes. And he just dunked it. And it was just like, hey. Gravity. Yeah. More of that. <laughs> yeah. More of that, please. But not from a guy who plays 
for the Lakers G League team and is on a two-way contract, but someone who actually is a rotation player who could maybe play like 30 minutes a night and defenses treat him like that. Now, to that point, though, that guy also, you re- you kind of want him to be able to hold up defensively. Can he at least okay. defend his position? Okay. And, so now and, we and, get, now and that's we get where you reality start to, here. Yeah, yes. And, and so those guys are hard to find. That said, it's just like those guys are hard to find. They do cost a lot, a lot of money, but they're also not endangered species. Like there's not one of them in the entire world that you have to go see and pay a thousand dollars in order to stand in front of and be like and gawk and be like, oh, look, there's the last one of them. He's right there. No, like these guys exist. So my idea around shooting isn't that you have to be like a 42, like you don't have to be Kyle Korver or prime Duncan Robinson or Seth Curry or even like Clay Thompson, who was elite. Right. It's just like but someone that defenses react to in a way that is at a level above the guys who are shooting well for the Lakers right now, because Pete, in every run that I've seen the Lakers make, they have that guy who's supposed to make threes. And then they've got all of the other guys who for a 16 or 20 game sample, they also hit threes at a rate that is above what they're supposed to. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember Lamar Odom being like, yep, can't miss a three. (laughs) <laughs> during the 2009 run to the championship. And you need a little bit of luck like that too, Mike. And so I'm not talking about building out the roster with a bunch of shooters, but I do agree with what Pete's saying in in that a shooter that is at a caliber that's above what the Lakers have right now would be super helpful to a team where LeBron, AD, and Russ are all sub-30 three-point shooters and they are your best sort of shot creators for other players and so if they're going to continue to shoot around that level you need shooters to complement them i'll try not to do my whole speech about shooting again so that we're not boring uh the longtime listeners and the whole thing about it i'm just trying to think of uh, like a one example from this season so who would i rather have out there on the court matt ryan or max christie and I know we're not talking about Matt Ryan specifically, but a guy whose main skill is shooting and knockdown shooting. Uh, no, get, like just give me Max Christie, who still might hit 40% of his threes, even if they're not closing out as much, but I know can hold up defensively. And the guys that are around the league, and Darius, you just referred to some of this, that you can get that are knockdown shooters, but you but you can actually leave on the floor defensively. Those are not easy to find, I don't think, especially when there are almost every other team that's a contender um, that probably has more assets than the Lakers are also looking for that type of a guy. So I'm Pete, I want to go back to you to maybe clarify some because I just don't know that part of it as the shooter that comes in. I still would rather have a guy that I know I can have on the floor um, defensively next to LeBron and AD because I know that they can still they can create enough offense if they're both out there for a guy that is maybe not a knockdown three-point shooter, but can hit enough, like Danny Green, like KCP, like yes. Kuz, right? Like uh, like the guys yes. that they've won with. So that so I want to kick back to you so I'm not going on my whole shooting thing again. So I don't want what I'm the player I'm talking about is not a Swider, Duncan Robinson, even Kyle Korver type of player. There has to be a prerequisite for this is playing, being a professional defender. I'm not saying that he needs to be a lockdown type of guy, but a guy that can stay on the floor, as you're saying, which those guys can't because of their defensive inabilities. And so 
with that as a prerequisite, guys like Danny Green and KCP are examples of this in that neither guy, especially at that point of their careers, is is a sniper from the respect of when Swider comes off of a screen or Duncan Robinson, Kyle Korver, there's that, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, that we have to come out to you. Like now, the, that would be super the helpful. Absolute, the, the absolute elite version of this that I think of is like Ray Allen, right? Uh, like later career Ray Allen, yes. where like a um, total amazing sniper, but like can defend, can put the ball on the floor, uh, you know, incredibly valuable player that's that's extremely hard to find. But that's the super peak, right? Exactly. And so to me, the distinction between that player and the player I'm talking about is the ability to run them off of screens and draw that, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. And that's what Ray Allen and those types of guys, peak guys do. But there are players that can hit a spot up jumper like KCP was like this. We would run staggers for him all the time. And he wasn't that great at making threes off of those. But if you gave him a three with his feet set or if he was sprinting into into an open shot, D, he was going to knock that down at a pretty high clip. And so that's what I'm talking about in terms of that player is a good jump shooter, even just in a catch and shoot sense. But they have to play a level of defense that keeps them on the floor. And I agree with Darius in that. Those those guys are valuable. They're hard to find. I've got a couple names I'll tell you after the pod that I'm specifically thinking of, but they aren't so rare that you can't can't get them. And so I I've come to think that that play that type of player is really important. Yeah. Also, too, it's just it's the geometry of the court and the calculus of of yes. how you score, right? And and so the Lakers. One of the reasons why, and Mike, you brought this up when you were talk talking about LeBron, and you're just like, oh, well, look at LeBron. He's 20th season is leading everyone in field goal percentage and even above guys like Kareem and Robert Parrish who are big guys who play inside well you know who else plays inside it's LeBron James that dude is getting to the basket all of the damn time whether it's in mm-hmm. transition or in the post and like he's shooting Picking from rolls. in close now the stuff we see on highlights like oh look at the freaking Tokyo drift jumper that he just hit from like the baseline or look at him the one-legged runner drifting left it's just like those are amazing shots and those are jump shots for sure but he's doing his damage right in the restricted area anthony davis was doing his damage right in the restricted area and russ and dennis schroeder dennis is shooting 38.5 percent from three that might be like close to a career high if it's not mm-hmm. a career high but the way that he's doing his damage is by beating guys right to the basket and getting layups and hitting like little pull-up jumpers like 12, 15 feet, where it's just like what the team could also use is that guy that you do run off of a stagger, that you do run off of a double wide pin down, that you might run floppy action for, right? That you do camp opposite corner where you make them cheat. It's just like, oh, you're gonna, so you're gonna tag LeBron in a screen and roll or AD in in a screen and roll, or are you gonna stay home? Oh, you're gonna tag? Guess what? Russ can make that skip pass. LeBron can make that skip pass. And and those guys and make the defense make choices because what was happening earlier during the year and what's still happening now is that the defense is always choosing to pack the paint. And the Lakers have been so good at still getting to the paint that it's just like, yeah, guess what? We're better. But to Mike's point, when you get to the playoffs and you have to win two Mm -hmm. rounds, three rounds, four rounds to get to where you really want to go, the defenses get better. The game plans get better. Everything is better and everything is harder. And the way you beat that is by having other guys who for for a living, they're like, yep. 
send me off that wide pin down. I'm getting my feet set and I'm getting this shot up and it's going to go in 38, 40% of the time. And then on the other end, I'm still going to work my tail off and I'm going to, to defend and be in the right places and help my team on that side of the ball too, or at least not be a liability. Right. And I think to Pete's point and to Mike's point too, like that player is hard to find. You're not just going to get them for nothing. But I think that that it should be a goal for the team. It's just like, hey, like one of those guys, like how can we get one? And that's not just a this year problem. It's an every year problem when you're built around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. For sure. All right. Good stuff, guys. Um, Got a game tomorrow against the Mavericks. We'll preview that and talk a little more uh, Lakers as we get set to start the second half. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.